Hey, this is Dustin, one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to listen to one of our sermons. We hope that this sermon encourages you, inspires you, and compels you towards a closer walk with Jesus and one another. If you would like to learn more about Grace Bible Church, contact us or partner with us financially, you can connect with us at www.gbc.life. Welcome to our church family. We hope that you enjoy the message. Hey, good morning, Grace Bible. If you have your, if you have your Bible, slip on over to Romans 10. Uh, we're going to be hitting a bunch of different scriptures today. You want me to keep up with all of them. Matter of fact, stick your finger in Romans 10 and then uh, also in Mark chapter 1. I definitely want to camp out there. A little bit as well. It's a fam jam weekend, which means we have some of our kids in here worshiping with us so they can jam with the fam. So you can be their worship leaders, mom, dad, aunt, uncle, whoever they came with. So kindergarten through fifth grade is your opportunity to take off with our kids life team. They're back there waving. Head on back to them and you guys go have church in your language. And uh, while they're doing that, I, wanna, I want to uh, confess to you in the spirit of, of what today's sermon is about. I want to confess to you that um, I, I feel so honored, Keith, by what you uh, just ministered to us and pastored the pastors of GBC. I appreciate you listening while I'm talking to you. That's cool, man. Um, no, I know you're busy. I'm just playing with you. Uh, but I feel so honored by what you did. But I just want to be exceedingly clear uh, to our church family that we, we do have an incredible group of pastors that serve here at this church. It is a special, special season to be a part of Grace Bible. But I want to be abundantly clear that we have an army of staff and volunteers that make this place special. Like most of the work of ministry that happens here happens behind the scenes. Um, and it's people that are committed to, even though they don't have the office of pastor, the biblical role of pastor, they are doing the work of pastoring all kinds of different ways in their life. Men, women, children, volunteers, staff members, children's team, youth team, music folks, admin team, deacons, like the list goes on. And so I'm grateful for you. I, I, I know that it's a, a, a tradition to celebrate the pastors of churches and God bless some of these guys that are like the pastor at their church and it's just them and they do everything from preaching the sermons to the marital counseling to the, the funerals to the weddings, like they do it all. Like, man, my, my heart goes out to those guys. They need to be celebrated. But here we are a team and we are a family. And I want to celebrate the whole GBC staff and family this morning. So would you join me in celebrating all of them? Yeah. We, uh, if you, if, uh, if you've been a part of our series, you know we're, we're in a conversation called Come to Me. And that, those words actually came from Jesus himself. And they came from Jesus in Matthew chapter 11. He gives us one of the sweetest invitations in all of the scriptures. And he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I bet some of y'all fall into the weary and heavy laden category this morning. Uh, I know, I do. Um, and Pastor Steve Trinkle did a beautiful job last week of reminding us where the rest comes from and the rest that we have in Christ Jesus, no matter what our circumstances around us look like. And listen, that's one of the mysteries of the gospel. The world is looking for circumstantial rest, but Jesus offers rest no matter the circumstance. That's real rest. That's the rest that the gospel offers to us through his word. And that's the rest that we continue to declare over our people week after week. That as we get washed in the word of God, that we learn to rest in Christ. That we learn to, as Colossians 3.15 says, to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts no matter what's going on around us. 
And so we're looking at these rhythms and habits and practices that the word of God and Jesus and the apostles introduced to us so we know how to come to Jesus. That can be a bit mysterious, like I wish I could just call him up. I wish I could just sit down and have a conversation with him from time to time, face to face, and I know you do too, but like, it is the pursuit, it is the searching, it is the longing for Jesus that we meet him the best, that we hear his voice the clearest. And so in his love for us, he gave us these spiritual rhythms and practices, these mechanisms of our faith, so that we can learn to ride those into his arms over and over again, so that he can transform us in the process And so we've looked at all kinds of rhythms and practices from worship to prayer and fasting and serving and giving and just Sabbath rest rhythms in our life. We've talked about stewardship and today we're going to be talking about one of the most difficult rhythms and practices, but also one of the most powerful. And it is one of the most difficult because it is one of the most powerful and is the rhythm and habit and practice of confession and repentance. Our adversary, we call him the devil. By the way, I love the song, Jesus, he has no rival, he has no equal. Now and forever, he reigns. I don't want you to get some illusion that there's like this cosmic war still going on between good and bad, between Jesus and the devil, because it's already been won and Satan's already been defeated. But the devil, our adversary, who's now been rendered a fangless foe, he's run out of plays in the playbook, but one that he still has is telling lies. And he does it all the time, constantly lying to us and trying to convince us of untruths so that it pulls us away from the gospel. And quite honestly, if the gospel was here, he's not just trying to get us to land over there. He wants us to just vary a little bit, just a little bit of untruth that we begin to absorb and digest into our life and believe. He wants to keep doing this in our lives because he doesn't want us to come to a place of biblical confession and repentance because he recognizes the power of it in our lives. He knows just how transformational and powerful humbling our heart before the king, confessing what is true and repenting from what we believe and what we have believed as lies in our life. He knows how powerful and transforming that is in our lives. So he constantly whispers lies to make us terrified of confession and repentance. Now this is the only week we're doing two in one. It's because confession and repentance oftentimes go hand in hand. They just go together. That's just kind of how it works. And so as we look at confession and repentance today, I want to start out by just kind of pointing out what at least I have gathered over my years of Christian ministry and just even being a part of the body of Christ, like the, the definitions that we kind of operate under that aren't quite right, um, that we believe confession is and repentance is. Now, let's be honest. Like when you think of confession, how, how does your mind kind of naturally define that? All right, let's be honest. Confession means what? Telling on yourself. And we don't like doing that. When we think of confession, we're thinking of, you know, talking about the bad things that I've done. And we don't like doing that. We don't want people to know. Some of y'all, when you think about confession, you think about sitting in a box, 
next to a guy and telling him about what you've done. We have all different kinds of like surface level views of what confession is, but though there are some truth in those things, um, simply acknowledging the wrong things that we've done is not the full picture of biblical confession. We'll get to that here in just a minute. But what about repentance? I've been made feel so guilty in my life so many times because I didn't know how to repent right. Because what does repentance mean? It means to feel really bad about what you did, right? So bad, in fact, that you never do it again. That's what repentance is, isn't it? That's definitely the definition that many of us had operated under in most of our lives. Confession's, t- confession's telling on myself. Repentance is feeling horrible about what I've already done and not to go back to it again. As a matter of fact, I was told because I kept coming back to certain sins in my life that I just didn't feel bad enough, like I hadn't truly repented. You know what I'm saying? Some of y'all heard that before. You just didn't feel guilty enough about it. That's why you keep going back to it. And so the church helped me with my guilt. They were happy to bestow all of it on me that I needed. So I was afraid to go back to doing those sins. But even those definitions of repentance aren't biblical or right. But the devil loves for us to believe that that's the case. Remember, he's not just trying to convince us of outright lies. He just wants us to vary from the truth just a little bit because we will miss the life-changing, transforming work of the gospel in Jesus Christ in our lives. If he can just get us to stray just a hair. It actually worked out perfectly that I'm preaching about confession and repentance today because after that gator thumping yesterday, I had to come in early and get on my face before God and confess and repent. I'm just kidding. It was rough, though. Let's frame up some more biblical definitions of what confession and repentance is, and then we're going to put it into practice today. I'm I'm going to give you just some some broad brushstroke examples of how confession and repentance kind of pay dividends in our day-to-day lives so we can learn how to be repentant, confessing believers in Jesus as we are growing up into our relationship with him. So as we begin to look at a biblical view of confession, there's really a big spectrum of biblical confession. Uh, we see, for example, um, you know, our, our bad definition wasn't totally wrong. It was just partially wrong because sometimes confessing is telling on yourself. First uh, John 1, 9 even tells us, confess our sins to the Lord because he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Like, Confessing the bad things we've done is a right and good habit in our relationship with the Lord. It's a right and good habit in our relationship with other people. James tells us, confess our sins to one another so that we may be healed. Like, confession is healthy and it's an important part of our lives, but that's not the only type of confession the Bible talks about. And oftentimes our definition of confession just revolves around that idea of talking about the wrong things I've done. But yet I told you to turn to Romans 10, 9 and 10, because I wanted to tell you another part of the full spectrum of confession. Romans 10, 9 and 10, we hear these beautiful words. Listen, some of y'all just need to hear this verse today. If you don't hear anything else I say, I want you to hear this couple of verses today. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, because If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. That doesn't sound anything like 
telling on myself. Yeah, because confession isn't just about talking about the bad things I've done. Confession also is declaring things that are true. Confessing, declaring these things that are true. As a matter of fact, this word that you see, I didn't put it on the slide up here, but this word that you see in the Greek when confession is used over and over again, it's the word, I'm going to say this wrong, homo... Logeo, I probably said that wrong. Logi- Help me out, uh, resident scholar. Okay, oh, you're enjoying seeing me suffer. Okay, you need to repent of that sin. <laughs> but it simply means, this is what it means in Greek, to agree with God. That's what it, I, I didn't make that up. Doesn't matter the context you're reading it in, whether it's 1 John 1, 9, confessing sin before the Lord, or whether it's Romans 10, 9, and 10, confessing that Jesus is Lord and King and God raised him from the dead. Either way, the word that's confession is used, it's calling us to agree with God. Homo logeo. Homo meaning same, logeo meaning logic, that we share the logic of God, that we agree with him. We have decided in our confession That what he says is wrong is wrong, and what he says is right and good is right and good. All of that's confession. And so, yeah, I come before the Lord confessing my sin to him. Because of the gospel, I'm not asking for his forgiveness. Forgiveness happened 2,000 years ago. I'm confessing to him that there is a sinful habit or pattern or behavior in my life, and I'm agreeing with him that, man, that is not the life of Christ in me. That attitude is not the life of Christ in me. What I just said did not come from the Spirit of God that is within me. I confess to you, Lord, that was sinful. That is nothing like you. Father, I thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, continue to transform that thing in me. I agree with you that this sin in my life is something that I do not want there, and it doesn't belong there. Confession. And I also agree with God that what is right and good is right and good. When he says something is true, I am who you say I am. Is that a confession that you really believe? Or do you believe who other people say you are and what your track record says you are and what your rap sheet says you are? Or are you confessing back to God who has declared something different over you? Keith saying, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that you have been marked with a seal, Ephesians chapter 1. A declaration over God that we are his, that our inheritance is sure, that we are his children. I am who you say I am. The confession of what is right and good is right and good and true, even if I don't feel it yet, even if I don't see it when I look in the mirror. Confession. Confession. Agreeing with God, even when my feelings don't know how to catch up to those truths all the time. We'll come back to that here in just a second as we roll out some examples. But what about repentance? I actually wanted to take you to a specific spot when Jesus actually calls people into repentance because the way that he does it helps us understand better what a biblical definition of repentance is. And it happens in Mark chapter 1. That's why I told you to stick your finger there. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 14 and 15, we'll just read these couple of verses. It says, now... After John was arrested, talking about John the Baptist, John the Baptist got arrested because he called King Herod out for messing around with his brother Philip's wife. 
Drama, drama, drama. So John gets thrown into prison. And after he gets thrown into prison, Jesus comes into Galilee. This is all a part of the plan of God. Jesus comes into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, the good news of God, saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. When the Bible says the kingdom of God is at hand, what it means is the kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God has come here. And Jesus is saying, here I am. The time has come. All has been fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. And then he goes on to say, repent. Say repent. Repent. And what's that next word? Believe the gospel. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is here. Standing right in front of you. Now repent and believe the gospel. Even Jesus, the way he words it, he's tying our repentance not to a list of behaviors, but he's tying it to a belief system in our life that is causing the behaviors. And so he doesn't say, repent and behave better while you are believing the gospel. He says, repent and believe. His call to repent isn't him saying, hey, you stop doing what you're doing so that you can believe the gospel. He's saying, hey, you stop believing what you're believing and believe the gospel. Because I hope we are learning through these last several years of just being saturated and inundated with the gospel that long before we ever had a behavior problem, we had a belief problem. Behavior modification sermons have never fixed anybody. It just brought us into some false sense of repentance and had me down at the altar 9,765 times to get saved again. Because I believe that repentance was stop doing bad things instead of stop believing wrong things. I was believing the lies of the enemy, but yet because of the behavior modification sermons, I was believing that, okay, because I was given this really cool definition about what repentance means, and I was like, okay, all right, if I'm going to follow Jesus and believe his gospel, then I need to repent. And somebody said, well, to repent means to do an about face, to walk the other way. There's some truth in that, but that's still treating my behavior problem. And I have about faced about 9,764 times. And you know what happens when I'm just treating my behavior problem instead of addressing it at the belief, when I'm treating the fruit instead of the root? Then I do my little about face because the sermon really convicted me. My, my friends were doing some about faces. I felt horrible about what I've been doing. And so I about faced for a while. And as long as the circumstances of my life lined up, I was still good, you know. But there would come a time when the dust would settle and life would kind of calm down a little bit. Or maybe I would hit a bad patch. Maybe I'd slipped out of regular rhythms and habits and practices in my life. And what I had once repented from, I started looking over my shoulder at again. Slowly but surely, all my behavior modification strategies weren't working. And I start drifting back. And I was resisting as hard as I could. And I was asking God to help me resist as hard as I could, but man, I just, man, it was like a magnet just sucking me in, you know? Don't judge me. Are y'all here this morning? Hello. 
I'm talking to y'all. Like a magnet sucking me in. Because the only tools that I really had was behavior modification, and that wasn't working. Because I was addressing a root problem with fruit remedies. And that just wasn't enough. The problem wasn't in the fruit, the behaviors, the bad behaviors, the sin issues are coming from a root issue in my life, gospel unbelief in my life. Not trusting the words and work of Jesus, not understanding what he declares over me in my life, not clinging to the vine like he has called me to. And so repentance, according to Jesus right here, is tied to our belief far before it ever trickles into our behavior. He even says it himself, and as a matter of fact, just so you know, I'm not doing theological acrobatics because repent and believe just showed up in the same sentence. The, Jesus, the, the word that Jesus uses for repent, you're going to need to write this down. I did put this up on the screen for you, is the word metanoeo. I probably said that wrong too, but y'all don't know. Metanoeo, which means to change our mind. It's hard to change what my hands are doing until I begin to transform, allowing the word of God and the Holy Spirit to transform what my mind is thinking and believing. So Jesus starts out right at the root level and says, repent, change your mind, stop believing what you're believing and believe the truth of God. Believe the holy gospel of God, the good news that is meant to save and set us free and the kingdom of God is here and it is near and it is at hand. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Repentance means to change our mind. That's the biblical definition using Bible words and Bible context. But let's be honest, like this is tricky. It's hard, and let me help you understand before we circle back around to confession and repentance, and we'll kind of weave the two together. It's tricky because repentance kind of takes on two shapes and sizes in our life. I'll just put it that way, and that's probably the wrong way to put it, but just track with me here. There, there is a one-time, once-and-for-all kind of repentance that happens in the life of the person that realizes and confesses that Jesus is Lord and King, Romans 10, 9 and 10. That's a one-time repentance of choosing to no longer believe in all my lesser little g-gods that I'm allowing to control my life, including the God of me who likes to be the king of my own little circle. And I come to the place in my life of bowing my heart before King Jesus and confessing that he is God and he is king and he is Lord and I am not. That is a once and for all, one-time confession. Once and for all, one-time repentance. And that's what saves us. That's what justifies us before God. That's what pays for our sins. Romans 10, 9, and 10, among many other places. But yet, in the life of the believer who is now saved, repentance is also a part of our everyday lives. Because though we have been saved from our sin and the penalty of our sin once and for all, we still need to be saved from the power of it and the presence of it in our lives. The pull of it. That constant temptation to want to go back. And so maybe this redefines for us what a Christian is and what the Christian life should be. It's not a life of perfect living. It's a life 
that is marked with regular and constant repentance. Regular and constant declaration over my bad beliefs and over my sin, Lord, this is not you and this is not yours. And I long to submit those things in my life to you. I want to be transformed. I know my behaviors need to change. I want them to change. So God, I'm going to start by believing right. I'm going to start by confessing the word of God over my life. I'm going to start by repenting in my mind and choosing and recognizing, you know what? That isn't God's way. That isn't God's attitude. The word of God is sharper than a double-edged sword. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, good, and faithfulness. Gentleness and self-control, just confessing the word of God over my life as he is transforming us. That's why Romans 12 tells us to present our bodies as living sacrifices so that we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That we can be in a constant state of repentance and transformation in our lives as we are learning to believe better. So that lo and behold, we actually start behaving better. That's why the gospel is such good news. It's not a behavior modification sermon. The Christian life isn't about behaving better. It's about believing better. Our behaviors will follow closely in tow. Let me give you some practical life examples of how this works out as we shape up um, in our last few minutes together of kind of how this plays out in our regular rhythms of life. I'm going to start out by a few sin categories, the lies that we're believing and how we confess and repent to kind of invite God to transform us in those sin issues in our lives into the likeness of Jesus. And then I'm going to talk about some just regular life issues that kind of pop up in all of our lives that we can also apply the same principles to and allow the work of God and the word of God to transform us along the way as we learn to believe better along the way. So let's start here. Um, Do you have a sin issue? Do you fall into this category? Do you have a sin issue of blaming other people for everything that's wrong, victimizing yourself, those kind of go hand in hand, faking, criticizing, being judgmental all the time, being demeaning? Here's a lie that the adversary continues to whisper into your ear to try to prevent you from confession and repentance. The adversary keeps trying to tell you that my need to prove myself to myself, to God and to others is stronger than my belief in the truth that he knows me fully and loves me fully. That's what he's convincing you to believe. My need to prove myself to myself, to God and to others is stronger than my belief in the truth that he knows me fully and yet still loves me fully. And if I'm honest with myself, I struggle with showing grace to others and even receiving grace when it's given to me because of the lies that the enemy is whispering. So how do we repent and confess in that? How do we bring gospel truth into that? I'm giving you just like the, the happy meal, chicken nugget version of how this can work in your life, but I wanted you to get the idea. And we can, th- this is part of our growth as believers, as disciple-making disciples, is that we are learning the truths of God's word and learning how the gospel applies to the everyday, ordinary stuff of life. And so here, here's just an example of a confession, gospel truth over the issue. This is a way for us to repent in those moments, reminding ourselves, declaring that God is radically in love with me, that I've been saved by his grace alone. People are not my problem. They are my ministry. I'm adopted into his family. I have been given a new name. I have been made righteous before God because of what Jesus has done for me. 
with all the scripture references that I got that from. By the way, I'll give you an email address at the end of this if this conversation resonates with you. Um, you can email us. We'll just send you the notes. That way you're not trying to scribble everything down. All right? What about the sin issues of just an indulgent lifestyle, whether it be food, drink, sex, uh, entertainment, relationships? You just you know you're an overindulger. Maybe you have, maybe you have a problem with some of these issues in your life. Here's, here's some of the lies that the enemy is whispering into your life that you are beginning to believe. My belief that satisfaction will be found in other things is stronger than my belief that true satisfaction can only be found in the Lord. If I'm honest with myself, my heart longs for created things more than it does for my creator. And the lies keep rolling in and we keep believing them hook, line, and sinker. And it is, that's the root problem that's causing all the fruit issues. It's causing the sin behaviors and the bad habits and bad patterns. You know it's wrong. Me preaching a sermon about how wrong it is ain't going to fix Jack. You're still going to struggle with it. We have to treat it at the root cause with the gospel so we can be transformed by what we believe and how we declare truth into the lies, right into the face of the lies in our life. So the truth, just again, chicken nugget version of a gospel declaration over this particular sin issue. He alone, Jesus alone is enough and he alone can satisfy. In him only is there fullness of joy. In him only is there real peace. These things can't satisfy the deepest place in me. Only the one who created me can. I'm trying to give y'all just some practical rhythms. What about the sin of control, worry, manipulation, intimidation? Intimidating people and in situations or manipulating people in situations so that you remain in control of it. You know, we, we struggle with all these sin things. Here, here's the lie that's being whispered to us that we are beginning to believe. This is the root problem that causes the fruit issue. My need to pursue control of my situations at whatever cost is greater than my belief that God is in control. He cares for me and that his definition of good is better than my definition of good. And if I'm honest with myself, I trust my hands more than I trust his heart. Mm. Mm. Here's a gospel declaration. God is a loving father and he really is in control and his good is always better. He is mightier than your biggest battles and he has a perfect plan and perfect timing and he is worthy of our worship even when I don't get my way. Uh-oh. <laughs> That's a good news gospel declaration, ain't it? Some, some of us need to write that on our mirror and lipstick. Put that on the steering wheel of our car. This is just a chicken nugget version. The word of God is rich with truths that are meant to transform us from a belief level. What if the issue that you're dealing with right now is not expressly a sin issue, though sin may be a temptation in it, but... The issue is just life stuff, just the hard stuff of life. What about when I don't have enough? How does the gospel inform that issue? Well, here's the lie. When you don't have enough, here's the lie that the adversary is whispering into your ear, among many other things. I don't know what your specific context is, but I know it's something along these lines. Here's the lie is that, well, you don't have enough and you're never going to have enough.
I should have been smarter. I should have worked harder. I should have planned better. I deserve so much better. I'm just going to take it from someone else. They don't need it as much as I do. Give? Serve? <laughs> no way. I don't even have enough for me. If the Lord loves me, this would have already been taken care of. Here's a gospel declaration example for you. Lord, you are the supplier of all my needs. You know what I need before I even ask. I admit that my flesh is worried, but I know that you are the source and supply for all of those who seek your face and delight in you. Mm. What about in seasons where you're waiting on God? Are you believing the lie that God has forgotten about me? That he isn't hearing my prayers, that I must be doing something wrong. If, if I would have just fill in the blank, then God would have already responded. He's punishing me for what I did that one time. Look what he's doing for everyone else around me. If he was for me, then he would do the same. Gospel declaration for you, my friend. Lord, I pray to you for who you are, not just for what you can give. Your timing is obviously not my timing right now, hallelujah. But I know that your timing is perfect. I know that every good and perfect thing comes from you. And you are the one who can meet me at the point of my need, even though you are moving way slower than I feel comfortable with. I trust in you more than I do my own comfort because I know that you are at work in my life for your glory and for my good. What about for those of you that are in crisis this morning? Are you believing the, the lie? I've been abandoned and I'm never going to find peace again. I'm all alone and if I can't fix this or someone doesn't fix it for me, it's all downhill from here. If I only had more money, better medication, had made different plan, this would have never happened. And if God loved me, this would have never happened. A gospel declaration for you, my friend. Lord, you are a strong tower and a safe place for me. You have promised that you would never leave me nor forsake me. Your ways are always higher than my ways and your thoughts are always higher than my thoughts. It is, for, it is not for me to decide what is good. I trust you even though I don't understand. I know that you are near to the brokenhearted and you are a safe hiding place. You protect me in times of trouble and you surround me with shouts of deliverance. You are my rock and my fortress, my deliverer and my salvation. Mm. Can you feel that? Can you feel the power of confessing true things right into the face of the lies? This is just the Happy Meal version, people. The gospel is rich and broad, and the word of God has so much depth to it that speaks to all of the nuances of our crazy lives. I got to show you this, and I got to do it quick. I learned this this week from a pastor friend of mine. I actually called him at 6.30 this morning and said, no, oh, Lord, I'm going to need support, Pastor Cam. Oh. Camera guys are going to try to get this on camera so you can see it in the back. Um, where should we put it? Yeah. I called a pastor friend of mine this morning to help remind me 
of how this goes. Can you all see that over? Can you see it up on the screen if you can't see it in person? This is called, I just learned this last week, but I want to give this to you as a word of encouragement as we close. This is called the triangle of questions. No. I bet, uh, I bet we have some questions about our crisis and our hardship and our sin this morning. On this side of the triangle, of all the questions that we'll ever encounter in any experience of life, this side of the triangle is truth. This is the easy stuff. This is the thou shalt not kill. We already know what the Bible says about it. We don't have to ask questions about it. There, there's no wrestling in our heart about whether or not we should do certain things, what God's word meant when he said certain things, because we acknowledge that those questions are meant by clear, undeniable truths that are declared in the word of God. They're not always easy to digest, but they're easy to identify. We know what they are. And then this side, represents all the mystery. And boy, there's a lot of that. This is the, why did God take my loved one? This is the questions that seem unanswerable, this side of heaven. There, there are no magic words that we get as pastors that we can just pull out in the most crucial moments of your life when the questions are so big and so difficult we don't know the answers, and quite honestly, even spiritual and biblical truths don't always scratch the emotional itch of our mysteries. And it's hard. This line down here represents all the seasons of your life, all the scenarios, all the moments. Some of them are easily fall into the truth category. I all know exactly what's going on here. Many of them fall into the mystery category. I have no idea what God is doing. Is he even paying attention? Some of them start in the mystery category and end up in the truth category, but there's a zillion of them that happen in our lifetime and they're all over the spectrum. But what the gospel tells us is that Jesus reigns as king over all of it. Every truth and every mystery every hard and fast answer and everything, we have no idea what in the world is going on. And we can rest in the goodness of the gospel, recognizing that in all of this chaos, if you'll let it, it's gonna drive you right into the arms of Jesus because this is what he allows it for so that we can be changed. This is why Philippians Four, eight, and nine tells us. Chris, you can come on up here, man. That's why Philippians 4, 8, and 9 tells us. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything that's excellent, if there's anything that is worthy of praise, think about these things. Confess these things. Repent and believe these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice, say practice, 
Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Father, I thank you for your love for us and that we have not been left alone and you have not left us without answers. Lord, glorify yourself in our sinful struggles. Glorify yourself and the lies that we believe. And Lord, may we, may we be a repentant, transformed people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.